Hey there, friends. Welcome. It's the Raised by Whoops Fake Radio Show coming to you from the valley of the goddamn leaf blower. I don't know if you can hear this, but uh, it's really quite amazing. If you if you hit record, and I'm sure a million other people with fake radio shows have said the same thing, but as soon as you turn on a microphone, like electronic equipment just, just turns on elsewhere. Leaf blowers, chainsaws, fucking lawnmowers, you name it. Anyhow, uh, whew. I'm not irritated by it. I don't care what you hear in my voice. That's not irritation. It's me having a great time with this uh, social phenomenon. Nope, not irritated at all. And when I say God damn it, it's, uh, it's like I'm saying yippee. Every time I say God damn it, I'm saying yippee. And every time I say yippee, I'm really saying fuck. Anyhow, I am happy to bring you this story today. It's called Pond Life, and it's about ponds and life. And uh, that's all I'm going to say about it now, because I'm about to read you an entire story relating to those two words. I wanted to give you a quick update on my life. Uh, Tiffany, my sweet and lovely partner and wife and friend and pal and uh, cohort, um, she and my dog Pele and I are about to take a journey. We're going to ride our bicycles from Canada back to our house. We live in Northern California. It's going to take us about a month. So if you live anywhere on that route or you think you might live on that route, give us a shout at uh, raisedbywhoops.com forward slash contact. Um, say hi. We're not asking for anything. I don't need money. This isn't like a GoFundMe. This is just, hey, we'll be out here sometime in August. Uh, we start August 15th in Vancouver and, uh, you know, work our way south from there. We'd love to see you. would like to meet you if we haven't. We'd like to see you if we have. So there's that. Bicycle ride with Pele. He has a little chariot that he rides in behind me and uh, sometimes Tiffany. And it's uh, it's a good time. Okay, uh, with that, Glenn's going to be back next week with a great episode. I'm really, uh, I got to say, I'm enjoying doing this with Glenn. I like his stories anyway, and it's great to hear them shared with other people. Uh, I feel like I've met my match in self-deprecation with, uh, with Glenn. We're both pretty hard on ourselves, and uh, it's great to get feedback from one another about about writing, about storytelling, about the craft of whatever the fuck this is, this this medium of sharing the stories. And uh, yeah, I hope you're enjoying it. And if you are, feel free to tell us in some kind of way, whether it's review or an email, smoke signal, um, acts of civil disobedience done in our name, whatever, we'll take it. Okay, here comes the story called Pawn Life. Hope you enjoy it. Until next time, Share and enjoy. And turn off your goddamn leaf blower.
A man-made pond takes some effort to maintain. The life within the pond, much like on land, just doesn't know when to quit. It's life, concentrated like a bullion cube in a thimble, rich but eventually overwhelming. I don't blame the creatures living in the pond for their exuberance for consumption and reproduction. I blame the man who made the pond in the first place. And I don't mean any specific man. I mean the quote-unquote man who created the idea of the small, artificial pond in the first place. I'm sure he had good reason. But if you've ever had to clean out the bottom of a pond, maybe you'll agree. It's as gross as it is necessary. Now that doesn't mean I think the pond is a bad idea. I quite like them, in fact. In Mexico, for example, in the small town of Cuajimaloyas, just outside of Oaxaca, we stayed with a family who raised trout in a couple of artificial ponds fed by a running stream. It was a setup requiring a great deal of quote-unquote man's effort, but without the help of a single man. It was a beautiful place, strange and amusing, and although we didn't understand how it could ever be profitable or even how it worked, we appreciated the pond in that setting and all its Zapotec weirdness. The place was a hybrid, equal parts campground, small restaurant, trout farm, and trailhead. The town of Cuajimaloyas was about a 15-minute drive up some crazy dirt roads from the campground, but it seemed like most people preferred to walk. Perched near the top of a cloud forest, as lush, green, and damp as a winter day in Oregon, the area has a dreamy and tranquil feel. We arrived at the campground with little expectation, or information really, We found some dry firewood, made our way to a suitably level spot to park our van, then had a chat with a woman who looked like she was in charge. There were no other campers, customers, or visitors of any kind. The only human souls around were the three women running the place, and us. One of the women looked to be about 60. She was short, brown-skinned, wearing about 2,000 layers of clothing and a small, frumpy, knitted cap. Her face, while still smooth in some places, showed hints of wrinkles which looked like journal entries for every grin, grimace, or mood she'd ever laid down. Another woman, who we assumed was the daughter of the 60-year-old, was probably in her 40s. She was also short and brown and multi-layered in her dress, but her skin was smoother all around, having seen fewer summers and possibly fewer moods. The two of them were both looking after the third woman, a small girl actually. Her name was Maria. She was five or six years old, hilarious and beautiful. She became our friend very quickly. The setting was beautiful. Surrounded by evergreen hills and a few errant cows, two large concrete ponds had been built in a clearing. There were winding paths through the trees which separated the campsites from the ponds and a small footbridge spanning the creek which fed them. We could hear it babbling from where we slept. The ponds were designed to capture water running downhill as well as the trout who lived in it. Crazy patchwork of logs and netting were laid out over them to discourage wild animals from making off with free fish. My wife and I weren't exactly sure what the two adult women were up to, but they were up to it all day. We watched them fuss with the netting, move the logs around, and poke at the water intently, all while chatting non-stop. I'm not sure we ever saw them feed any of the fish, and don't know if that was even part of the program. Honestly, when we were at the campground, we spent most of our time hanging out with little Maria. 
She wasn't particularly interested in the ponds or the fish. She wanted to play. We normally spent our evenings playing with our dog, Pele, but he had also found a friend who lived at the campground, a filthy dog about his size who liked wrestling as much as he does. So we were free to give Maria lots of attention, and she loved it. One afternoon, I asked the women about buying some trout to cook for dinner. The restaurant was closed for the season, but they said I could cook my own if they could catch a fish. I know this task to be difficult, as hand-netting individual fish is never easy, especially in a pond so large and covered by netting. I thought for sure the two of them had a method worked out for catching them, though. If they did have a method, I couldn't tell what it was. For sure, I'm an outsider. But to me, it looked like the first time they'd ever tried it. While Tiffany played hide-and-seek with Maria, and Pele strained to hump his new pal, I tried to be useful but not pushy as the two short-armed women stalked the edges of the pond with a handmade net. Several attempts were made. First, the older woman took the net, basically a long stick with a hoop and a slightly less tattered bit of the same netting which covered the pond attached to the end of it and plunged it wildly into the water. This scared the few fat fish nearby, driving them to the opposite side of the pond. Then the younger woman took an almost literal stab at it, violently jabbing the net and frightening the fish back to the part of the pond where they started. After this, the two of them decided to work together. Neither of them seemed to want my help. They chatted for a spell and devised a plan. The older woman ripped a branch from a low tree and made her way to the opposite side of the pond from the younger woman, who held the homemade net in the strike position. Uno, dos, tres, the older woman yelped then started slapping the water above where the trout had congregated. Netting and logs were rumbling and tumbling beneath the pine branches. Wet needles flung droplets of water like a priest blessing his congregation of not-so-enthusiastic worshippers. The younger woman was taking wild stabs at the darting fish, none of whom ever got even close to the makeshift net. Heavy droplets of water landed on my face and neck as I watched in awe. The younger woman was soaked up to her elbows, cackling with each thrust of the net. Meanwhile, the older woman's facial expression never changed, possibly not wanting this absurd fishing trip to add to her collection of wrinkles. I looked up to see Tiffany and Maria doing forward rolls in the grass, while Pele, panting heavily, but looking triumphant, had his forepaws wrapped around the midsection of his new compañero, proudly humping his face. After about five minutes of this, without a word, the two women gave up. They told me the fish were not in the mood for catching. I could appreciate the sentiment. I do the same thing with Pele, often projecting my feelings about various projects onto his demeanor, saying foolish things like, oh, he's excited because he knows we're going to a restaurant. The mood of the fish aligned nicely with the mood of the two women, and I couldn't blame either species for a lack of enthusiasm. The logs and netting were reconstructed, covering the fish once more. It was impressive how quickly they relaxed once the branch and net stopped slapping and stabbing the water. The following day, the grandmother offered to sell us a basket full of beautiful mushrooms, harvested in the forest on her walk to work. It was either a consolation prize for the fish not being in the mood, or just a convenient way to make a few pesos, doing something she enjoyed anyway. It's been said... The pond creature has no mind for the sea. This may be true. It may also be true that the forest mushroom has no mind for the pond. And thank Cosijo, the Zapotec god of rain, for that.
For if the mushroom had a mind for being hard to find and difficult to catch, we'd all be in trouble. We never did learn how they harvest all the fish when it came time to sell them. I guess that it involved draining the big pond. Once drained, I would imagine somebody has to clean it. It's been over two years since we visited that dreamy place. Maria is probably seven or eight years old now, and exactly the right size for that unpleasant gig. I wonder if she's on the job yet. In any case, there's no question it's a job which needs doing. I hope they're well. While I have no way of knowing, I think their odds are good. With three generations of women, too many fish to count, and more than enough mushrooms to go around. The math seems about right. Thanks for tuning in to the Raised by Whoops fake radio show. This is Glenn. Both Andrew and I are grateful for your time and attention. If you enjoyed that story, 
We'd appreciate if you could tell your friends, family, or even a few strangers about the show. Additionally, you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify. If you have a short story you'd like us to tell, or even some music you'd like to share, you can reach out via the website, raisedbywhoops.com. We're glad to have you with us. Until next time, thanks, and take care.